What about one anothering? What one did we leave out? I want you to go to Galatians, the fifth chapter. Verse 25. And here it is. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step. You walk by the Spirit, that means He's leading you. You keep in step, that means He's the leader. If you ever play follow the leader? Well, you lose the game if you don't do what the leader does. That's exactly what Paul said in his very biblical manner. He said, the Spirit's your leader. Your job is to follow the leader. So you keep in step with the Spirit. Then he says, so what's going to stop that from happening? Let us not become conceited. I'm following the leader, the Holy Spirit. I lose sight of the Spirit when I make myself too big. So I take my eyes off of the Spirit, and I turn my eyes on me that's called conceited. Then comes the word, provoking and envying each other. So this is like the negative, one another. Do not provoke each other. Story's told of a little, little boy that was um, in their house and had a, a little dog. And he had a little dog and he was just tormenting the dickens out of that little dog. And the dog was squelching and screeching and carrying on. And mom says, why in the world are you tormenting that dog? And he said, because I can't find my sister. Well, I think in families, we kind of understand what it means to provoke and just bug and just irritate one another. And that is the sense to which this text was written to family. Background story, Genesis 4. We find the story of the first brothers in the Bible, Cain and Abel. Listen to it quickly. Later, she gave birth to a brother to Cain. His name was Abel. Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil and offered an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was angry, and his face was downcast. Go to verse 8 right in the middle. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. I've often heard people debate, well, we'll never know exactly why God accepted one offering and not the other. Well, I'm, I'm going to put your minds at ease on that. Not to be boastful, because I'm not. Not to be outsmarting the theologians who say we can't know. It's actually obvious in the text. It's not hidden at all. Listen to what it says. Cain brought some of the fruit. Just some of it. Abel brought from the firstborn of his flock. In other words, Cain's heart was not in the offering. It was just a, by the way, I'm going to take something to the Lord. His brother said, I'm taking the first and the best to the Lord. There's a story that's told about a, a boy that was given two quarters on his way to Sunday school by his mom, and, and he was walking to church, and he was playing with the quarters. And he dropped one of the quarters, and it rolled and went down a storm sewer. And his statement was very simple. Oh, no, God, I just lost your quarter. 
as his was still intact. His heart really wasn't in it. How are we going to understand that story in light of what Paul said? Here it is. Park that for just a minute and listen again to what Paul said. Don't provoke one another. There's a family issue. So write that down. We're going to write these down really fast because they're not that hard. Do not provoke. How do we do that? Well, I think there's two ways. Let's write one down. Intentionally. Sometimes in a family, people intentionally hurt other people. What causes that? What makes people mean? I believe it's often because they rehearse a hurt. It just keeps getting rehearsed over and over and over again. And every time you rehearse it, it gets better. And by better, I mean worse. Because when you rehearse it, you embellish. And your hurt grows. It's like a tiny stone in your shoe that you didn't know was there. And you take a hike and you're walking and your foot is getting very painful. And you work up even a blister and you can't wait to stop. And you pour it out and you dump and you're expecting a boulder with spikes to fall out. And it's a piece of dirt, hardly noticeable, that has irritated your foot because it's been in there too long. I think that's what causes people to intentionally hit or hurt other people is when they let something fester way too long. That's not the one that is maybe the most important for us. Write this one down. I think we can provoke people unintentionally or unavoidably or even unknowingly. Did Abel know that he provoked Cain? What did he do to cause that? Cain's the one that had a spiritual problem, not Abel. And it was his spiritual problem that caused him to be provoked by his brother. We get caught in the trap with people and their own spiritual battles. And because they're in a spiritual battle, sometimes you're the one that provokes them. How does that work? Sometimes I might provoke someone by what I say or by my voice, and they just don't like my voice. I can't do anything about that. Sometimes I provoke people because I am, hang on to this, a child of light in a world full of children of darkness. And Jesus said it best, what does light have to do with darkness? He said, I am the light of the world. And then in one of the rare times, he shares exactly the same word with us. He says, you are the light of the world. A light to the darkness, the darkness feels provoked. And that is why around the world, over time, it has been God's children who are persecuted for usually nothing other than being kind and good and light, because darkness cannot comprehend it. There are some times when it's unintentional and unavoidable that you will provoke people. Sometimes we unintentionally provoke people. <laughs> I, was, I was just looking at a note I have here and saying to myself, do I have time for this one because I really don't want to, to do it. We, we provoke people with our mouth. Now, probably none of us here need this. We say things, you've heard maybe people do this, you walk up to someone you haven't seen for some time and say, hey, how's your husband? Well, I don't know, we divorced six months ago. You ever have that awkward experience? Or, or maybe you know, I jotted this note down because it has happened with people that, that work uh, for me next door. Uh, when someone comes up and says, don't you just hate the way government employees waste our tax dollars? Well, not really. I work for the city. 
Have you ever put yourself in an awkward position because you said something without a really good filter? So I'm, I wrote myself a list. It's not on your outline, but you might want to create a little spot for it because it's a simple thing. What am I going to decide to do so that I don't unintentionally provoke people when I don't need to? First, turn the other cheek. You don't have to respond to everything. I know that's, I just want to lay that out there. You don't really have to say something to everybody that's mean or that you don't like. And your truth is maybe good, but you don't have to straighten out the whole world today. Turn the other cheek. How about this one? Rehearse our words before we say them. Even the prodigal son laying in pig slop rehearsed his words before he went back to his father. There's nothing wrong with hearing what you might sound like when you say something before you say it. No, it does not mean you're nuts when you talk to yourself. It might mean you're rehearsing what you want to say on behalf of the Lord and you want to make sure it sounds right. Have you ever said anything and after it got out, you wanted to grab it and stuff it back in because it didn't come out at all what you thought it was going to? Rehearse those words. Maybe the last one on my list is the most important. Guard your heart against anger. By anger, I mean what is mentioned in Ephesians 4, verse 26. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. That is a word for anger that's orge in the Greek. Nothing important about that except what it means. It means hardened and set up and breeding rage. That doesn't happen quickly. It happens over time. Don't let the sun go down and cause your anger to become hardened and set up and hard then to move. And do not give the devil, by doing that, an entry foothold spot in your life that he doesn't own. Your anger just gave up territory that God owns. So let's examine this one another and then do some math. The postscript of this entire whole series that we've been in since January 9th, write it down. Do not, or do rather, lay down your life. I want to end with what to do. I do not provoke. How do I stop provoking? By being sacrificial. Do Lay down your life for someone else. 1 John 3, 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. What does that mean? Lay down your life. I want to give you two quick examples of what it means. The first may be harder than the second. I say that now, and I want you to remember that I said that, because the first is metaphorically. What do I mean by metaphorically? 1 John 3, 17 goes on to say, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has not pity on them, 
How can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech. In other words, talk is cheap, but with actions and truth. Remember where we started just a few moments ago. We live and walk by the Spirit, and we don't provoke. I need to more proactively love with my actions. Why? I go back to that Galatian passage, and I go to verse 24, which was right ahead of what we said earlier, and it's this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified what? The flesh with his passions and desires. That's self. You crucified who you were. That you is dead. Dead people don't provoke anymore because you have metaphorically laid down your life. It doesn't exist. That's the beauty of Christ transforming your heart. Earlier, even in that same letter, he said that. Galatians chapter 2. I've been crucified with Christ and no longer live, but Christ lives in me. But get ready. Jesus said something pretty astonishing. That's where these guys picked it up. Maybe we need to go back to its original source too. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he, Jesus, said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. And then he added this little part taking up your cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever lo- loses their life for me will save it. Did he say we all should just walk out and be killed physically? didn't say that. He said the old you died and will be wrapped up in the, the new me, which is the resurrected Savior, and that's the new you. And you have killed yourself, laid down your life, Now, when it says, I lay down my life for someone else, how do I put that together? Well, that's not hard either, but it is. Here's the easy part. I can can get it in my brain. Well, yeah, because I died to self and now I'm alive with Christ. You celebrated that at your baptism, didn't you? Romans 6, your old you is buried, the new you is brought up in the resurrection of Christ. But what does it really mean? That once I killed the old me, it's a benefit to you. Because the old me would provoke you. The old me would be mean to you. The old me would want my way, not your way. The old me would never defer to you for anything. But the new me in Christ acts like Jesus. Because the old me was crucified. That's how laying down my life helps me not provoke. But I want you to know, there's also a literal side to it. 1 John 2.6 says it like this. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. That's the what would Jesus do verse. May I add without fear of changing the text. The entire context says if you're going to live for him, are you willing to die for him? We have never had that circumstance in our world that we live in in the broader world that others live in every day, it is a constant reality that for no other reason than claiming Jesus, you could be put to death. There may come a time when your very life will be demanded from you. 
The first disciples learned how to metaphorically live a sacrificial life, and then every one of those first disciples were persecuted to the point of death, all but one, for the name of Jesus. So be very careful. I'd like the musicians to come and get ready because I want you to do this like maybe you've never done it before. Sing these words. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. And Father, that song's been around longer than any of us in this room. But the call for us to sacrifice self for the sake of others is a part of what it means to say we love you. Teach us. Draw us to yourself. Let's stand and sing these words.